On this week's episode of Juke Sports, your two favorite hosts are back, and we dive right into the NBA and the NHL's proposed plans for a return this season. And I'll share a very interesting take on how the NBA should go forth with its seeding for this year. We'll also touch on The Match Part 2, where we all learned that Tom Brady is in fact not an 8 handicap. We'll welcome in our guest for this week, the head basketball coach at Misericordia University, Coach Willie Chandler. Great interview with him, diving into his coaching and also his prolific playing career. Then with that, this week's list, we'll debate the greatest NCAA basketball head coaches of all time. Closing statements and a lot more. All right, giddy up. Welcome to Juke Sports. Your favorite duo is back with another episode. A lot to get into this week, Jake. We'll be welcoming on our guest for the week momentarily. But let's dive into some headlines. Uh, specifically, what I really want to touch on is a lot of leagues are gearing up towards the comeback, as you would say. Uh, specifically, the NHL and the NBA. There's been a lot of reports on what that's going to look like moving forward. Start with the NBA first. I think the only thing they really have locked down is a location, and that looks like mm-hmm. Orlando right now. But a lot of different takes and opinions on the format that the NBA should take moving forward this year. What are your thoughts? I mean, kind of like you said, we the only thing we know for sure is that it's going to be at the Wide World of Sports in Orlando. Um the Walt Disney organization and the NBA have a very close relationship and it seemed like a very logical place to have it. My big question going in is what are the playoffs going to look like? If they don't have a solid playoff uh, strategy going forward, or if the playoffs are very limited, I don't know. I just feel like we're going to be missing something out of this whole thing. Um, You know, for example, uh, there are a couple different ideas being thrown around. I did hear earlier in the week there might be possibly no playoffs, which I hope that's not the case. That makes no sense, yeah. It makes no sense. If there's there's no playoffs, then you might as well not even bring basketball back. And I want live sports more than anyone else, but if you're not going to have a championship, then why even play? Why even take a remote risk? of putting all these people back together. So there needs to be a good playoff format going forward. But the question is, what is that? What is that playoff formula? So there's a couple of different ones out there right now. The biggest one that a lot of people are gravitating towards is the combining of the East and West and just taking the top 16 uh, teams and seeding them one through 16 that way. There's another possibility of taking – 20, 20 to 24 of the teams top to bottom having the lower seeds 7 through 10 battle it out a little bit for the final two spots to give those teams who were on the cusp of getting in that didn't really that lost some of the end of their season the opportunity to get into the playoffs there's a lot of different ones out there I'm not 
Like, honestly, I don't love any of them. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you can't keep it east and west right now, right. normal one through eight, I say do it. But if you're going to do a shake-up, then shake it up big. That's my opinion. And I don't think okay. either of these things, either of these scenarios right now are doing that. So what – so say you're Adam Silver. What would you – what would you propose? What would I propose? Put me on the spot there a little bit. But oh. Oh. I would say, honestly, I would say shake it up big and go big. So the one thing that comes to mind for me is almost like essentially a crab shoot. So take the top 16 teams, east and west, take them there. But let's not see them one through 16 based off of record. Let's ultimately do like how they do the lottery and give the Bucks and the Lakers – and the teams with a better record, a better percentage and opportunity to be a higher seed. But let's make it random. Let's take the 16 best teams. Let's make it completely random because it's a crazy year. Wait, you want to start? Wait, you want to start the playoffs like that? Yeah, I would say if, chaos. That why, is that's chaos. Why? Why can't? Because you, take... you can by by chance you can end up with two very good teams playing against each other, two higher seeds playing against each other. That's fine. Like you could have Milwaukee, you could have Milwaukee and Toronto in the first round. Why would you want that? I'm saying if you're not, I'm saying the proposed scenarios right now of everything that's different, nothing stands out to me. So why would you have to change? Why can't you just keep it East to West? If you do one through 16, you're going to have Milwaukee who was, Pretty much, on all accounts, a lock to get to the finals this year. Having to go through a team like the Clippers in the semifinals, mm-hmm. or what, however you would want to propose it, uh, of the top of the bracket from one through sixteen, it does. It's not fair to the top tier teams of the East, I would say, because when you look at it from top to bottom, the West is very top heavy, but break it down all the way through the six, the one through 16 teams, it's even East and West. There's not an overshadow of more Western conference teams than there are Eastern conference teams. Contrary to, I mean, many people believe that the West is by far better, better, but it's that it's the top four or five teams, the rest, the bottom of the middle of the road pack teams are all the same. So why not shake it up and do something crazy this year to get people excited? You you're, you can't tell me that you wouldn't want to see Milwaukee and the Lakers play a five game series. No, you I might would not love get, to see that, and you might but not I don't get want that. To see that. I don't want to see that until later on. Like, I, I want I want it to build. I mean, you why could, would? I mean, why not? You could have it build up, but you're not. You're probably not going to get that opportunity. That's like unless... watching a movie. Okay, that's like watching a movie, and the most exciting part of the movie happens right in the beginning, and then the rest is dull and boring. That's not true. I mean, let's be honest. There's gonna be there would be matchups that could still play out where you still get a Milwaukee or an LA in the finals, or a Clippers and a Toronto yeah, in the finals. Much, it's too much to chance. It's way too much to chance. I'm just saying, if you want to do something completely out of the ordinary this year, I mean, adding, making it one through 16 and just going 
That way makes no sense to me. Why not just keep it the same then? Why not keep it? Well, no, and that's what what I – I mean, there's no need to reinvent the wheel here. If we don't have to change things, then why do that? So if you want to bring the playoff team – so I I thought of two different scenarios here. Either bring in just the playoff teams, like the teams who are – who've made the playoffs, scrimmage a few games to get everyone's legs back, and then go at it. And, and again, no one's going to be in their best shape. So these first couple games are probably going to be very rough on the players because they're not going to be in shape just by game speed. But either come back with regular playoffs, and if you want to shorten down the first round to five games – that's fine too. Or how about this? Take the nine and ten seeds, okay, and have them have a play-in game, and then start the playoffs. So the nine and ten seeds are playing, and for what seed? Or sorry, so you can have the eight nine. You would have ten. seven through ten, those yeah, final four teams. Right. Yeah, which is a proposed scenario right now. So you would take the seven through think, ten yeah. seeds uh, and I, have those battle out for the final two. I wouldn't be opposed to that because that's basically saying, okay, you guys were right on the cusp of making it but didn't. The season was cut short. We're still giving you a chance, but we're not going, but we're not going to take away anything from the higher seeds. If that's that fine, sense. but I mean, that's... we're not making the other guys play more games, but you guys are still going to get your chance. It's going to be a little bit more difficult, but you're getting a chance. That's reinventing the wheel. And I mean, it's a smaller type of reinvention, for lack of better words. But I mean, if you're going to do something, like, that's my point. If you're going to do something, why does it have to be on this borderline small scale? If you're going to change anything, if you think that you now's the time to change the one through eight format and do something different. You have all the, the world's oyster at this point. You can do anything. Why not do something big, crazy out of the ordinary to, I mean, people are going to be engaged no matter what. So why not bring them in even more? The also tricky part is too, all these sports are proposing to come back in July. So when NBA kind of usually had its time, in May and June with just baseball starting and hockey right. playoffs, they're going to be competing with every, everything's going to be back and everything's going to be coming in in a flurry. I don't know. I would go big. I don't, I don't really like any of the proposed scenarios. I mean, NHL is just throwing all these other teams in there now, which I don't like either. Well, hang on. It, there's a difference though, between the teams that aren't or are on the cusp of making the playoffs for the NHL and the teams for the NBA that are on the cusp. There's a distinct difference. How? So, okay, let's look at let's look at some of these teams that are on the bubble. Okay, you have let's just look at the East for the NBA. You have the final seed Orlando Magic that has thirty wins and thirty five losses. Mm-hmm. You have the Wizards that are twenty four and forty, and you have the Hornets twenty three and forty two. Okay, the Hornets have the Hornets have 19 more losses than wins. Okay, now let's go to the West. You have the Memphis Grizzlies who are a game below 500, 
And then you have the Trailblazers that are 29 and 37 and the Pelicans that are 28 and 36. Those teams are below 500. Now, let's go to hockey. The teams in the NHL that are on the cusp of making it. The final wild card is the Columbus Blue Jackets. And they are, they have 33 wins and 22 losses. Okay. The Islanders, uh, which are out of playoffs, 35 and 23. Rangers, 37, 28. Okay, that's the East. Let's go to the West. Nashville, last wild card team, 35 and 26. Vancouver, 36 and 27. Minnesota, 35, 27. These teams are still have good records. Chicago okay. is looked at as a bad team right now. All right. And they are 32 and 30. Gets and again, it. you have that point system. So you're getting points. You're also getting points for an overtime loss. The big thing about the NHL that's different than the NBA is the NBA, you pretty much know who is going to make the playoffs. You, It's pretty much set who is going to be in. The NHL is all over the map. Teams rise and fall throughout the entire year. The Buffalo Sabres were running away with their division at one point, and they went on a skid that was terrible. Granted, they had some injuries, but and the Sabres won't even make the, the 24-team playoff format. So your po- And by the way, the Sabres are 30 and 31. So your point is that, what, that the two leagues are different and we should look at them differently, which is fine. Yeah. But you just told me two minutes ago that you would say, okay, one of your proposed ideas would be have teams 7 through 10 play for final two spots. So a team like, then in your scenario, the Hornets or the Wizards or the Pelicans could theoretically get into the playoffs. So one of those bad teams that you just said in the NBA that doesn't deserve in there could get in by giving them right. more no, teams no, no. or on. expanding the format. Mm-hmm. Right. But, right. So I, did, I said I don't mind that playoff plus format because either at the end of the year, and, or sorry, your your season got cut short, but you were you weren't able to kind of make up for lost ground. So you're still giving some of those the nine and ten seed. You're still giving them a shot to get in. Now NHL, you have a lot more teams here that had a shot. For example, I'm just looking at the standings right now. All right. The Montreal Canadiens were nine points back. They were the last team in. They were nine points back of uh, Columbus. Sorry, ten points back. That's that's a five games. There are five games out. That is that's a tough that's a tough hill to climb. But the Florida Panthers, on the other hand, they were three points out, meaning they were a game and a half behind with an entire season left. That I mean, Jake, that's that's fine, and that's all well and dandy. It's just the point that I'm trying to make that you said is okay. You're gonna we're gonna expand. Hang on, hang on. Before you go, before you start with that, and I'll I'll let you finish. 
Okay, I'm pulling a Kanye. I'm going to let you finish. But Chicago was having a bad year, right? Yep. All right. Nashville Predators were the last team in for the Western Conference if the season ended today. 35 and 26. Okay. They had 78 points. Chicago had 72. They were they were six points out, three games back. They could have still had a shot to make playoffs. It isn't out of the realm of possibility that they were making, and they have good records on top of it. Okay. These NBA teams that have terrible records, you, but um, I still would say still let the nine and ten get in. Um, so they at least have a shot to make up for ground loss. Okay. Your argument on the win-loss thing is should be completely irrelevant to this because you can't compare wins and losses in the NBA to wins and losses in the NHL. So it doesn't matter if the Bulls are 22 and 43 and the Wizards are 24 and 40. There is st- still 17 games left in the NBA season. So your argument that anything could have happened for those teams in the NHL is the same argument that anything could have happened for those teams in the are NBA. Terrible. So what does that matter? You can't compare, you can't compare a win and lossing in the NBA to uh, wins and losses in the NHL. I, I mean, like that's comparing tomatoes and oranges. Like, I don't know how you want to compare those two, what strictly based off of a record. If you're going to expand it then to eight, eight more teams in the NHL, why not just make it 24 teams in the NBA and expand it more to give more teams? Cause who's to say that the Pelicans who are getting hot, who are four games out getting Zion Williams back, couldn't have made a run and been the eighth seed in the Western conference. I would want to see that matchup too, by the way, against the Lakers, but you're, the wins and loss argument means nothing. If you're going to, expand the NHL playoffs to almost eight more to eight more teams just because those teams had a good record. I mean, there's, it's not only you can't go back in history and say there hasn't been times where teams in the NBA missed the playoffs and had a good record. Or if you look at the NFL, for example, let's bring the NFL into it. If we just want to compare all other wins and losses, there's been times that teams have been nine and seven, which is up in NFL standards right on the cusp there or 10 and six that have missed the playoffs. So you can't. No, 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 but but we're in a different. So this isn't a normal season. Their seasons were cut short. So then, yeah. So then you should still be. So then your arguments are relevant about how you don't want like the NBA teams. Well, no, I don't want twenty. No, I don't want a twenty-four NBA bracket because you're gonna have the Spurs and Kings and the Bulls and the Knicks in there who have twenty more losses than wins. In the least, in the NHL, you have teams making it so the last team to make the 24 is chicago and montreal montreal they they weren't gonna they would probably wouldn't have had a shot so your arguments that chicago still had a shot to make playoffs so your arguments the talent level and what that means is so but but here but here's here's the point that i i'll this is the last thing we'll say on this but here's the point that i don't agree with so these teams what would have happened if nothing happened in the season hypothetically Teams went good. Season went on. Columbus, uh, whoever, Chicago, whatever, finished the season so with finished the season with good records, yeah. above five hundred points. Just missed the points by two season by one by two points. Just missed the playoffs. Then would you be calling for you need to relook at the whole way the playoff system is formatted? Then because a team with a good win loss record just missed the playoffs by one point 
didn't didn't make it into the the sixteen teams. Well, no, if every no, because that's the playoff format. But you're so the then one why this? Have, you're the one that was saying we have a different we have a different way of life, and that we should um, we should explore opportunities. Yeah, so that's why I would say we would you would expand the NBA playoffs too, or if you keep the same way, you do something radical with the seating. And that would be the same for NHL. I don't disagree with adding more teams to the NHL. I just think you – I just don't know how you could agree with saying let's add eight teams to one league for the playoffs just because they were having good years. But let's not because do it's it. more in, competitive. But let's not do it in another They're more – because uh, hockey's more – I mean, okay. that's, uh, that's like saying, okay, let's, let's, let's no, give no, all the, no, let's give all the number one seeds in the NCAA tournament a bye because the one versus 16 game isn't and, competitive besides when Virginia I, lost. I I like this is the best the best and worst thing about hockey is that the regular season really doesn't matter too much. The regular season really doesn't matter because when you get into the playoffs, eight seeds beat one seeds a lot more than in the NBA. Okay. Tampa, Tampa Bay Lightning were one of the most dominant teams two years ago. Or no, it was the last year. And they got upset uh, by the Blue Jackets. You know, eight seeds go on runs all the time. In the NBA, an eight seed hasn't beaten a one since the Sixers beat the Bulls and Derrick Rose and Joe Kim Noah were hurt. And that's the only reason why they won. I mean... So, NHL is a lot more competitive with their lower seeds because it's a crapshoot. That's fine. I mean, I get that. I get like you're not going to see Orlando and, beat Milwaukee in the NBA. No, but and with this format, your top four teams are going to be rewarded by a bye, and then the rest of the teams have to play in. But it goes by seeding. So Pittsburgh will have to play Montreal because they're the fifth. It'll be they'll they're the fifth and the the last seed, and you'll have uh, Columbus and New York or the Islanders, I should say, Rangers, Leafs. Uh, Panthers, Carolina, and so on and so forth. I hear you. I, I think we'll agree to disagree that you can compare wins and losses in two leagues based on – I mean, I guess you can. Maybe you can based off of yeah. the competition. I, I, I don't – I think if you're going to add that many teams to one league, you, the NBA should be open to it. Or they just need to do my, – my, my stance still uh, stands where I say keep the format the way it is. If you're only going to – if you're going to keep it at 16 teams – Keep it east and west. I don't like this bracketing it all together or just make the seating, seating completely random. Listen, we, we can argue all we want, but nothing's set in stone right now. Even the NHL, it's, it's the NHL playoff format right now has been passed by the players, but we just have to see where it goes from there. We shall see. But the good, the, the good news is all this is pointing in the right direction and we should have live sports back. Very soon. Can't come soon enough. But some live action that we did have today was the match with... Part two. Part two, yeah. Um, Fun stuff. I enjoyed it. I thought it was uh, definitely better than the first match with just Phil and Woods. But I mean, I kind of really uh, sympathize with Brady a little bit for the first time in my life. But um, it, it was for the fun. first Sunday for the first Sunday of my entire life. I related to Tom Brady. I think a lot of people did. 
A lot. And there is no way he's an eight handicap. There is no way he's an eight handicap. I saw that on the first – I saw that, and the way he played the first six holes, you Mm. could probably think that you could beat him. Anyone could beat him. Everyone was probably thinking the the exact same thing, that I could beat Tom Brady in golf. Mm. Now, contrary to the belief, when he turned it on after holding out on the seventh hole, he did look Mm. a little bit better. I still question the handicap, but he did look a lot better. And then I was – I mean, his biggest issue is he can't get out of the tee box. He would have to, he's having to take a lot of drops when he's playing, but <laughs> that court wasn't that court. Like we don't know what kind of courses Brady has been playing on, but it wasn't that course a uh, difficult course. Yeah. I mean, a lot of it's, it's the home course to a lot of pros. Uh, Justin Thomas, who was doing a little sideline, but what do you even call the golf play by play? Is it just a play by play guy? The sideline guy there? I don't even know if they have like a, to, they have uh, a fancy name for yeah, it. Color, color, color. Yeah. I didn't know if they have a fancy name for it with golf, but I'd say color. But he was doing he was doing it a lot there. That's the home course for him too. It's a it's Tiger's home course that he plays a lot on too. Mm-hmm. So he Tiger definitely did have the advantage, and you could see that he kind of knew the course a little bit better than Phil. I mean, Phil's a pro, so Phil knows how to navigate any course you put him on. But you could tell the tips that he was giving Peyton probably benefited mm-hmm. Peyton a little bit. Well, I will say though, Peyton. Through and through, on the big, on a very big stage, playing with two of the best on national TV, where they probably—I don't know if they've ever been—they probably have played in a pro am before that was televised, but pretty big stage there. I thought Peyton played pretty, pretty well, all, all, all in yeah. all, like a good round of golf. <laughs> he had a couple of birdies in there, which was surprising, <laughs> but overall, good thing. It raised a lot of a lot of money for a good cause. Also, let's just. Thank the world that we have Charles Barkley. That man is is a gem. I mean, there's no way there's no way around it when when he's just throwing out fifty fifty grand to, to donate for Brady if he gets on the green on a par three and Brady just shakes it. That's like I, that's when I that's that was the fourth hole I believe, and that's when I really uh, resonated with Tom Brady. I was like, I I always see myself on those par threes making side bets, and then I just shank it into the woods. So that was great too. Tom Brady, that front nine man, he um, shanking everything in sight. <laughs> he was getting heckled by Charles Barkley, which is never good when you're playing golf. That's like a rock bottom. And he ripped his pants. Yes, the pants rip was kind of. I mean, he played through adversity. Let's give. Brady, I mean, I hate giving Brady credit, oh but I mean, the poor guy looked horrible the first six holes was probably i mean thank god you couldn't see what he couldn't see what they were saying on twitter but playing and also like the weather probably had a little bit of a factor i mean it was it was tough tougher conditions with that rain torrential downpours there but he he played through a lot he ripped his pants i mean he he made he made nothing of it he just kept going that's impressive in my opinion (laughs) Uh, it was i mean I look. I saw on Twitter, and immediately he did that. I'm like, that's the SpongeBob <laughs> meme. Go on, go on Twitter, and of course, I tweeted it out from our account. And about, I saw 20 other people do it as well. So I was with the flock of people doing it. But man, is he Tom Brady looked human? Also, so 
do we think now Tom Brady is public enemy number one for University of Tennessee? <laughs> as soon as he said that, as I got so excited that, when he said that. I was like, yes, this is going to be great content. <laughs> those people, though, I'm sure they'll, they'll respond rationally to it. <laughs> they're, they're a very, listen, the Tennessee volunteer fan base, they're a, a bunch of rational human beings. I think they'll know that Tom Brady was just joking around. He wasn't trying to do any. He wasn't trying to disparage uh, their entire fan base. Here's what they like: the Tennessee Twitter and a lot of college fan bases. Twitters. I mean, college fans are just Colts to begin with. I've actually yeah. heard some pretty solid things about Tennessee. I don't know if you've been to a Tennessee game, but I've heard some. I have, and I have. I've so, heard some solid this things. This is what I'll say about Tennessee people. Okay. The actual Tennessee people that you see at the games aren't bad. They'll well, they welcome people. At least when I was there, and I was an outsider, but I wasn't a po- and I wasn't an opposing fan. But they were very hospitable. Okay, but you throw them on a message board or social media page or Twitter, and one of their own is getting attacked. They will come together like a pack of wolves and just attack any outsider that is throwing any sort of negative shade towards them. It doesn't matter what the fight is. It doesn't matter the people. They will join forces with complete strangers, and the only thing they'll have in common is that they wear that dumb orange and checkered patterned overalls every week, and they'll come together for that You don't like the colors? Honestly, just... it, it's, it's. I mean, I know it's it no, is... I know it's no blue and white, but I mean, come on, they're not All the right, worst stop. uniforms. No, no, okay. <laughs> I don't. It's different, <laughs> and it's it's different, and it's cool. I, I get it. It's just, I don't want to just attack Tennessee. Yeah, yeah. Because... <laughs> you got to listen. You got every fan base all, is like all college football. All college football fan bases have a cult mentality some people most people control it better than others but the problem is there is this small percentage of each college football fan base that is so insane that it makes it bad for everybody else it's yeah i mean every every fan base college or pro i mean more so college has that cult type personality i think more pro they're just more pro fan bases like dumb or not dumb. No, dumb's a good word. I mean that small percentage, <laughs> that small percentage of professional fan mm-hmm. bases are don't really watch the games. Or don't know the game. Just, yeah. Or, or yeah. Right. And they'll just say whatever because it's more mainstream where I feel like the the bad part of fan bases in college watch every single game, every piece of content, and are just that invested oh, yeah. that they will defend until Yeah, I'm not debating that. Definitely more loyal fans on the college level any day of the week than the professional mm-hmm. level, especially down south. But, yeah, yeah it was interesting. I, I think, though, one final thing, though. Brady didn't, Brady didn't carry a driver. And now I'm starting to think maybe I shouldn't carry a driver in my bag when I go. I mean, like... What was this guy doing? 
I don't know, like what. I mean, obviously, it didn't work out that great for him. I mean, if he was no. if he was out there cranking the three wood, they almost came back at the end. I mean, they did in true Brady fashion. They almost pulled the comeback. But I mean, if he was out there cranking the three wood and destroying it, everyone would be like, "Shit, Brady's onto something." Like, w- none of us as amateurs are very. I would. That's the word I'm looking for. Are very consistent with our drivers. Like, we'll hit some good ones, but we're not going to put even seven, maybe seven or eight in the fairway out of 18 or however many you use your driver to tee off with. But I don't know. He's on to something, but I'm going to think about it. I tell you what, that's how my dad golfs. He doesn't, he doesn't use a driver at all. I mean, you're, but he just hits it. His, he hits it straight. The well, that's the thing. Not, not as far. And as I'm hitting it in the, I'm killing it, but I'm hitting it in the woods. Yeah. If you're hitting it, Take you're hitting drops. it 300, but it's not in play. What does it matter versus, okay. I don't know. About all right. If you're hitting it yeah. 220, but it's in the woods versus hitting it 200 or whatever. I don't know. What, what do you, what do you, what do you drive? What's your distance? I have no, I would, I, I would no put you around uh, a, a two, 206, probably a good drive for you. 206. Nah, I have no 206. idea. 206. <laughs> listen, when, when, when I go, listen, when I golf, I just want to have a good time and like, I'll get a little competitive here and there. But that but... was also Brady's issue. He did not like shotgun a beer when he started struggling. If he would have got a couple drinks in him, maybe he did by that seventh hole. Chuck started talking shit. Maybe I mean... he had a little flash there. I don't know. Commercial break. A little sip, sip. You don't know. You never know. I think, I think Peyton had a few beers. Payne seems like the guy who definitely is on the golf course that is gonna out drink you and probably hit up and probably <laughs> I don't know. hit up hey, the listen, I love the I love the the pimp my ride uh golf carts they were using. Those were sick. Those got auctioned off too. Did they? Yeah, they were auctioning them all off for Sherry right. too, which was pretty cool. cool. Um but yeah, overall, I mean it was fun. I, I also too the best one of the final thoughts there, best part was watching Phil and Tiger kind of teach uh, mm-hmm. Brady and Peyton on certain things, especially yeah. especially reading the greens, which is super hard for any buddy mm-hmm. out there, even the pros. Um, so yeah. that was that was kind of cool. It was almost like you were getting a nice little lesson that doesn't cost yeah. you upwards of a mil. No. <laughs> yeah, that a little bit of trash talk between Tiger and Phil talking about their medals, a little bit between Peyton and Tom. It was you could kind of see why they paired them like mm-hmm. they did. Um, Phil and Peyton were more the talkers, whereas Tiger and Tom are kind of a little bit more reserved. Yeah, definitely. And I, I was worried at first, and I could see I, – I saw it at first. A lot of people were saying, how come Brady and Tiger weren't together? And I was always against that. So I, I thought it worked out pretty well. Um, okay, final thought before we bring in our guest. The next match, who are two players that you want to see play with Phil and Tiger? Two athletes, Man. I should say. Two athletes? Yeah, any, uh, in any sport. Mm. Um, how about this? I don't know about Phil and Tiger, but how about McAfee and John Daly making a return? Okay, against two. Against... Ooh. See, I'm going to go total pod... I'm going to go podcast mm-hmm. But how about Brooks Kepka and Big Cat against McAfee and John Davis? Oh wow, that's that would be interesting. There's going to be I I could see there being a lot of drop drops there. 
you know, Brooks Kepka and the PMT boys, they have a little bit of a relationship. Uh, McAfee and Daly have a really good relationship. They, Those... uh, they were, per- they were put together, I think a Greenbrier for a program. Those so... two wouldn't make it pat Once they got to the back nine, they would be halfway in the bag. That's all I'm going to say. Mine is <laughs> they they, they were showing uh, McAfee dropped uh, a video of them and they were both in like, matching uh american flag shorts uh or john daly had the american flag pants on mcafee had the american flag shorts on uh you can tell like mcafee's barefoot so you could just tell that they're having a good time and i think mix that with uh dan big cat cats and uh brooks kepka on the other side i think it'd be i think it would be content it would be interesting i mean i'm i'm gonna stay in the realm of just true athletes here and i'm gonna say Kind of still fresh in my mind, and one because he's the ultimate gambler. Can we get Jordan on the course? Can we? Can we get? And here's what I want. Here's what I want. I want Tiger and Jordan on a team versus versus oh. Phil. I, I still like Phil. I think Phil should stay, and I like the Phil and Tiger dynamic. But Phil and Tony Romo. Tony Romo is a real, oh, real good, that's, real good yeah. golfer. So I think that would be great because yeah. I think. I'm pretty sure I'm like 99% sure that Tony's a better golfer than Jordan, but could Jordan get into Tony's head on the course would be pretty interesting to see those guys. No, dude, that's, that, that's great. I'm going to try, I'm going to take your Jordan and tiger, but how about this one? After the last dance, Pippen isn't too happy with Jordan. Why don't Phil and Jordan, the number ones against the number twos. Okay. The Batmans versus the Robins. That could be interesting too. I mean, there's so many possibilities. This should be honestly like what what we've know. learned is this should be done a little bit more, and not only. To... This might be a good <laughs> segment. That could be a good one, but all right, let's quickly transition and bring in our guest for this week. <laughs> all right, guys. So now it's time to welcome in one of our friends, colleagues, four-time Pennsylvania Athletic Conference Player of the Year, a career of 2,898 points, number two all-time on the NCAA Division III list, the head coach of Misericordia University Basketball, Coach Willie Chandler. Coach, how are you doing today? Good, good. How are you guys doing? Doing well. Doing well, Coach. Hey, Coach, thanks for coming on. No, no problem. Happy Memorial Day, guys. Yep. You too. You too. Yeah. Um, so... A lot to get into. We have a lot of questions for you, but I think the first one that we want to start with is knowing that you're a coach now, but also were a very prolific player. Back in high school, were you just a single sport athlete or did you play any other sports? And what advice would you give to an athlete now who's thinking about maybe just specializing in one sport? Um, I, I played, I did four sports in high school. Um, I played base, uh, football, basketball, baseball, and track. So I was, um, I did a lot. And, and the funny thing about it, people don't believe me, unless you're close to me and know me all through my life, people don't believe me that basketball was my third best sport. Oh, you know, wow. everyone, everyone thought I should have, you know, I should have played. I had a lot of major division one offers for football. Baseball, I was all state my senior year. I batted like 500, hit like six home runs. And then basketball, I was all state my senior year too. But I just love basketball. You know, basketball, 
you know, the thing that turned me off from football was when I was sitting there, I was sitting, I was sitting across from Virginia University, mm-hmm. and they had one scholarship left for football. And the guy, the guy said to me, he goes, yeah, you know, we want to give you the scholarship, but you got to report in June. And that just, I was done with football right then. You know, I was like, <laughs> yeah. at, the, at the time, I was more about having fun with my friends and mm-hmm. just enjoying, enjoying myself and not like I wasn't diehard you know, thinking I was going to go professional in anything. Like, you know, I'm not going to play professional, so I'm not. And once he said that, I was like, yeah, I'm going to play basketball. You know, baseball, <laughs> I love baseball. I played it my whole life. It was just too boring for me. You know, and I think I could have played, ba- I, I played baseball. I could have played baseball probably until I was in my 30s playing minor leagues and stuff like that, but it was just too boring. You know, I didn't mm-hmm. enjoy it, but basketball was it. You know, I was, you know, I played Kobe in high school, and from that point on, you know, that, that was it. You know, when I guarded him and he gave me the compliments – that he gave me, I was like, all right, basketball's for me. That's, that's my story. <laughs> I'm going to go, you know, because he, he told me, he, you know, I don't know if he was lying, but, you know, he, he wrote in the paper after we played them, he said I was the toughest person that guarded him all year. You know, not, at the time, I was a 16-year-old sophomore. I just tur- I, actually, I was turning 16 two days later. And, uh, and then his dad came up to me and was like, stay with basketball. You're going to be a very good player. And, you know, and it, was, it was pretty cool from that point on. But I still, you know, I said all the other sports, I never tell one person to go, you know, I never, I would never tell a kid to go to one, like, you know, specialize in one sport. Mm-hmm. I know a lot of parents are living through their kids and, and things like that. They want their kids to go to NBA, NFL, or major league. But I think me playing all those sports helped me in each sport. It helped me develop quicker in each sport. And, uh, you know, you know, I have a daughter now that's six years old and I'm, hey, she, she, she doesn't want to touch a basketball and I'm not, <laughs> I'm not going to force her to, you know, yeah. she's around enough. She's always at practice and things like that. And I think eventually she's going to end up playing it. And when she's ready to ask me for my help, Hey, I'll help but until then. Hey, go to dance, go to tap and jazz and dance class and gymnastics <laughs> and do whatever you need to do. And just, you know, enjoy it, you know, cause I don't want her, like I said, i never felt pressure on me. My parents never, you know, my dad always just sat in the corner and after the game, he talked to me, but it was, he was never one of those parents. And my mom, you know, she didn't know anything about the sport, but she yelled all the time. But, you know, but it was, uh, like I said, I was able to play whatever I wanted, and my parents supported me no matter what. And that, that's, I think that's the best thing a parent could do with a kid, you know, that wants to play multiple sports. And then you got, you know, an AAU coach. No, he shouldn't play football. He should just play AAU all summer. Or he shouldn't work out. He should just do that, you know, let the kid go. You know, you only live once, you know, and that's, that's how I look at it. Yeah. yeah. No, that's great. And I would agree completely with you. We were all multiple sports athletes not as good as you get in D1 (laughs) football offers but that's awesome but coach you kind of touched on it it's a good segue into the next question when you were a sophomore what was it like when you heard that you were gonna guard Kobe in state playoffs well you know we had to upset the team that lost in the Eastern Conference final the year before Williamsport Williamsport High School Mm -hmm. were loaded they had like multiple division one guys on their team and we had to go down to Susquehanna University which is close to Williamsport it's like it was an easy Mm -hmm. ride for Williamsport and pretty long ride from Scranton and uh you know we upset them we held the ball we did the, we did the good old Hoosier stuff we <laughs> held the ball we went back to uh, I think I think the score was 35 32 or something like that you know we didn't it was one of those things where if we didn't have a layup we didn't shoot the ball you know and then you know as we're beating them their fans are killing us like you guys are gonna get like cursing at us you guys are gonna get blank blank by Kobe by Lord like you guys don't deserve to be there and I'm sitting there I'm, I'm 15 years old now I'm like you know, what are these, what are these, and they're adults. I'm like, what are these people's problem? Like we beat your team. Like, we, we just beat them on the court. We deserve to be there now, you know, but leading up to Kobe Bryant, like 
back then we had a whole week off and it was the longest week of my life. So I knew right away I was guarding Kobe because I was, I was already the most athletic guy on the team as a sophomore, mm-hmm. you know, and I, and I, I couldn't match up with him, but I was the closest thing on our team that looked like what they had on their team. So it was like, you know, Will, you know, Will, you're guard. So right after the game, coach like, you're guarding Kobe. You know, we're going to play man, because we all, all we played was man to man. We weren't playing zone. My, co- my high school coach was like a Bobby Knight guy. Man to man, deny, that's what we're going to do. You know, pressure. And then leading up to that week, Tuesday came, Tuesday, the Slam magazine came out, and Kobe had a full, full five-page five spread. And, you know, and I walk into practice after school, our whole team has them. And I'm like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> that's the fuel. Yeah, so we, you know, we're watching film on them. And my goal was, I said, Coach, I'm going to let him shoot. You know, I watched film. I'm going to let him shoot the ball. I don't think he's a great shooter. I don't want him going to the rim and dunking all the time and just doing, you know. So, you know, we go into the game. Now, this is where it gets great. We go into the game. We play, we're playing at Bethlehem Liberty High School. Okay. And I don't yeah. know if you guys have ever been in those gyms. The gym goes yeah. straight yeah. up. It's an old school mm-hmm. gym. It goes straight up and high. In the, like, so we get there. There's a girls game before our game. Mm-hmm. And it's already sold out. Like, you know, our, we brought three buses down from Scranton, and they got there early. They got there for the girls' game. And it was a local team. It was Dallas High School, which is right out by Misericordia, yep. playing a team from down Allentown area. So we get there. We're sitting behind Dallas's bench cheering for them. Place is packed. They already locked the doors. Like, no one else is coming in. Sports set, like, ESPN's there. You can see ESPN's camera. Every camera from Philadelphia is there. Every camera from Scranton's there. I'm like, all right, this is real. You know, that's when it started getting real. I'm like, all right. You know, we're, 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 in, we're in for it. But then now their team comes in. Lower Marion comes in, like, half hour after us their whole team walks by i don't see kobe i'm like all right where's where's kobe at you know their whole team walks by all of a sudden i see cameras start flashing everyone's going crazy kobe walks in with like five security guards and look like legit gets in front of our bench or where we're sitting in the stands looks over at us and starts laughing and shakes his head and walks away i looked at my best friend i said uh we're about to get our butts kicked Um, and I, i probably cursed but I said, yeah. <laughs> we're about to get our butts kicked. And I'm like, you know, then we come out. We're all warming up. Kobe's out there warming up by himself, shooting half-court shots. And my friend's like, sure, you want to let him shoot? Because he's not missing now. I'm like, oh. And I'm like, that was my goal to let him shoot. But I didn't think he could shoot like this. <laughs> but we come out, and like I said, we're playing. They're, they're killing us now. Their team was great. They, I mean, they, I think their whole starting five went Division One. So Kobe went to the NBA. Mm-hmm. Um they, they're beating us 20 nothing at after in the first quarter. But Kobe doesn't have a dunk yet, so I'm happy. I'm like, all right. <laughs> and, and he probably only has, like, four points. And I'm not, like, I'm, I'm not getting under his skin. I'm like, all right, he's quiet right now. Let's leave, let him be quiet. Don't, don't poke the bear. No, but then the second quarter comes. He throws an elbow at me, gets an offensive foul. And from that point on, he's like, Chandler, I'm coming after you now. I'm like, oh. What? I, I said, <laughs> he said, you hit me with an elbow. I'm like, <laughs> Dunks, he dunks there, catches like three oohs, and I'm like, oh, you know. But the more, like I said, we they beat they beat us by like 40. Um, but to tell you how Kobe was, like I said, this what this is where I got like how I started playing after this game is how I got from Kobe Bryant. Like I, I was a killer on the court. Like I really was. Like I, you know, I took no prisoners. I was I was tough on my teammates. You know, if I didn't think they were doing what they were supposed to be doing, I was tough on them. And I got all that from like when I played Kobe, like he was pushing me grabbing me, talking, talking the most junk you could talk, you know, and I'm 15 years old and I'm a baby, you know, he, you know, it, 
But at the end of the game, he comes down to the locker room, knocks on our locker room door, and asks for me by myself. Hey, coach, can I have Will? Can I have Chandler? Can I get Chandler out here? Coach said, like, yeah, go ahead. You know, so I go out. He goes, get your family, get your friends, your closest friends and family. You know, we'll go up in the lobby here. I'll take pictures for you guys. I'll sign your autographs. And, you know, I'll get you guys out of the way first because it's going to be crazy once everyone comes out of the locker room. So he did that. I got my mom, my dad, all my best friends down. We all took pictures. I have the pictures. You know, I have all the pictures to this day. Took pictures. You know, he was like, you're tough. He goes, keep playing basketball. You're tough. You're strong. He goes, you didn't back down. He goes, just keep working on the game. You know, keep working on your game. And uh, from that point on, I was a Kobe fan no matter what. No one could talk bad about Kobe. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's why, you know, when he passed away, you know, I got interviewed by a million, million different, you know, TV stations, you know, because in Scranton, I'm the closest guy that was to Kobe Bryant. You know, I played against him. He got me tickets to uh, when they're in the Sixers. Get, like they played the Sixers like two years later. He got me tickets to go down there, you know, and, you know, and it was just a great experience. And, you know, we, like I said, we, we didn't stay close like that, but. I tried to reach out to him anytime he was in Philadelphia to see if he could get me tickets to go down. I could meet him, talk to him and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and usually he got back to me and he was good with it, you know, and, uh, but uh, it was a great experience. It was probably, you know, besides my daughter being born, probably the best experience I had in my life, you know, wow. and, and that, and that's, you know, that's just you know, how Kobe was, you know, he was, he was, he wasn't the nicest guy in the court off the court. He was a perfect gentleman. And, you know, that's how I carried myself when I started playing, when I got, you know, in college and, end up playing professional for a couple of years. And that's, that's, you know, that's how I carried myself. And that's how I try to get my team now to play. You know, don't, you know, I don't care if you're playing with your, be- I, don't, I don't care if your best friends on Kings, you guys aren't best friends for, for that 40 minutes. Yeah. You know, that's the kind of thing I try to preach. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Coach, you had a great college career. You um, end up playing overseas. What's the process of getting to play overseas and was there a difference between some of the leagues that you played in? Well, the process is to score a lot of points. I mean, it's <laughs> the first process. You know, you got you to be able to put some numbers up. And I was, you know, I was fortunate enough, you know, I made I – I had a full scholarship East Charles during my freshman year. Mm. You know, I redshirted there. And I made the best decision of my life transferring to Misericordia. You know, mm. and I, you know, I think I needed to be a big fish in a small pond. And, and it happened at Misericordia. And I just came out. And I felt like I was better than everyone there, you know, and that's not, not me being cocky or, you know, it's just me. I felt I was more talented than anyone at the division three level. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I went out like that every night, you know, and, you know, going overseas by the time I'm halfway through my senior year, I was getting a million or coach Martin, who's my coach at the time, Dave Martin, who's the AD at you know, university of Scranton right now. He was getting emails from agents and he was sending, he was showing me them, you know, Hey, you know, we got to start getting a list together. What agents you want to talk to after you're done. And all I did was look at their, who they had on their uh, clientele list. That's what I did. I'm like, all right, let me see who they have. You know, and I knew I was going overseas. You know, I knew I had some chances to, you know, try out for NBA teams and go to workouts, but I knew I was going to end up overseas. I was a small, I was a small two guard. I was six, four, you know, six, five. And, you know, I'm working out with guys that are six, seven, six, eight playing the same position as me. So I knew, my money, the money to be made was overseas, and uh, and I found an agent, and he got me a great deal right away over in the league, uh, first league in Argentina, which had like 15 former NBA players playing in it. Wow! So that was, you know, and the money was very, very good. So that was the first deal I got, and then, like I said, the leagues all changed. I ended up, I ended up spending a couple of years in Portugal, which I loved. That was my first favorite place to be. 
then I try to come back and get in the NBA. I try to go to CBA, MBBL, and do all that stuff. And then, and then, like I said, after, you know, one morning I woke up, I didn't want to work out anymore and I retired. And that was, that was it, you know, that was it. And then, uh, a year later, I got into coaching. You know, Coach Woodruff asked me to be his assistant coach at Misericordia. And, you know, I, I kind of still wanted to be around basketball. I never thought I'd be a coach. I never wanted to be a coach. Um, he said, oh, all you got to do is scout for me. Go, go recruit and scout for me. That's all you need to do. And I said, yeah, if you really need me, I'll do it. I just want to be around basketball. And uh, that was 2009, 2010. And from that point on, I, you know, I, I've been at Misericordia, you know, coaching. And that's yeah. – Awesome. That's good stuff. Um, you know, you said you're coaching now. We hear about identities a lot. What do you want your team's identity to be? Uh, my, my big thing is toughness. You know, we, we got to, you know, I think the problem with this past year's team, we had our worst, our worst year in a while. You know, we, we weren't tough. And it was, it's, I'm not knocking the guys on the team. You know, it's partly my fault, too. You know, I got to carry that over into practice and things like that. You know, but we just weren't, we weren't tough. You know, we weren't tough and uh, every close game we seem to lose. And that's, that's a sign of toughness. You know, if, you lo- if you're losing close games over and over again, it's either discipline or toughness. And, you know, both of those things you got to be good at to be a good basketball team. Right. And you also got to have good players. You know, you got to have good players. And I thought we had good players this year. We had a lot, we had a very young team this year. And, uh, you know, I, I'm looking forward to this, you know, I'm looking forward to hopefully having a season this year and, and and, ha- and having and having a year because I think I like my team that I have coming back and uh, you know I think I got a bunch of tough guys coming back and I think we're gonna be pretty good. Good, that's good to hear. That's good to hear. You know we gotta, you know we're we're Nanticoke guys. You know you got Kreitzer there that was a yeah. freshman. Uh, I think uh, is Coach Evans still with you? Coach Evans? No, he's no he's done now. But he's still he's you know he's still a big part of the program. He, he's, mm-hmm. he's helped me out a lot still, but he, mm-hmm. uh, he moved down to the Philadelphia area. So he, okay. he had to leave, but I know he's one of our biggest fans still. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, Nate, like Nate, Nate's, Nate was my toughest guy this year. You know, that's why yeah. I said, I love, I love the team I have coming back. You know, he's five, eight and he, he plays like he's six ten. You know, that that, Nanny Coke in him. <laughs> what happened with Kale then? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Got to cut that clip for him. <laughs> happened with the legend i don't know <laughs> we don't know about that but <laughs> no, but nate, no but nate was a leader this year as a freshman mm-hmm. um he carried us a lot and i put a lot of pressure on him and he handled it you know that's why i think that's why he got rookie of the year which was well deserved on, on his part and uh he, he he he's a he's a pit bull nate he really is he he holds guys accountable and you know it, it saves me a little bit because i you know I, I yell a lot when guys aren't doing what i want them to do and this year I didn't have, you know, Nate, Nate was on guys from the start, you know, and I was mm-hmm. tough on Nate because I'm always tough on my point guard. You know, I was tough on Alec Rahway, you know, and I was tough on, I'm tough on Nate now and uh, Nate handled it well, you know, and that's just him coming from a good program, him being coached well. And uh, like I said, and, ra- and raised well by his family. Yep. Yeah. I'm, I'm so Nate was my neighbor uh, growing up. And so I kind of watched him grow up as well, watched him play a lot. My brother was a couple years younger than him. So I saw them playing together, but yeah, he's, uh, he's, uh, he's like that little pit bull. He'll keep coming after you over and over. He's a tough kid. Yep. He doesn't like losing. He doesn't like, no, losing. he does not. No, That's he doesn't. 
that's why I think we'll be good for the next three years. Cause I mean, I know he didn't like, he didn't like losing this year. You know, he apologized to me for it, you know, so he didn't, he, he didn't like losing and he, he put a lot on him, you know, too yeah. much, too, too much on him for some, you know, sometimes for being a freshman, you know, I thought uh, he was too hard on himself a lot. And, right. you know, I, I think he's going to take a big step from year one to year two. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, Coach, you mentioned it a little bit. You're hoping that there will be a season this year. But what, what are you doing now to stay engaged with the team during all this? Just really, you know, Zoom calls and talk, you know, talking on the phone. There's really, there's really not much you could do. You know, there's mm-hmm. really not much you could do right now. And uh, just trying to get the guys to stay in shape. But no gyms are open. So, I mean, yeah. I'm hoping if you got, you know, now they're starting to open look like parks a little bit where you could go shoot and stuff. And guys, I'll give guys workouts and, you know, they'll go, they'll go that way. But me personally, you know, I haven't, you know, no, I, all I recruit is like this, you know, I recruit over zoom, you know, AU coaches will send me guys cause it's probably not gonna be an AU season this year. So mm-hmm. they'll send me a list of guys and who, who, who they think I should look at. And that's just building, you know, relationships with AU programs throughout the years, you know, so they know what I'm looking for. And, uh, that's how recruiting is going to be. That's how it's going to be this summer. You know, basically, basically just doing this zoom calls, you know, house party, things like that, things like that, where you can get face to face with guys and, uh, and just talk on the phone with them, you know, cause they can't come visit campus. You know, I can't go see them right now. So it's, it's, it's tough. It's tough. It's going to be, I feel bad for the 2021 kids, you know, trying to get recruited. This is definitely hurting them. Um, but the best thing they could do is just get as much film out there as possible. Get as much film out to coaches and, uh, and you know, hopefully someone, you know, someone bites. Definitely. You kind of touched on it there a little bit. It's going to be tough for kids this year uh, being recruited. But what would you – what piece of advice in a perfect world when we go back to normal do you give high schoolers coming up through the ranks about recruiting and going through the process? I know it's sometimes different for uh, the level and things like that. But what would you tell someone coming up through starting to get recruited? The biggest, the biggest thing is just, you know, stay level-headed and uh, be up front with coaches. My, you know, my biggest pet peeve is when a kid, and I just had a kid do it recently, you know, so that's why I could really, you know, I'm not, you know, when a kid has a school in mind already, but is dragging you along, you know, that's my biggest thing. You know, I, and I try to tell kids, right when I'm recruiting, hey, just be, I'll be honest with you and you be honest with me. You know, if I'm recruiting another kid at your position, I'm going to tell you I'm recruiting another kid at your position. But if you're not interested in misericordia, don't have me text and call you seven days a week for you to, you know, for you to talk to me and then all of a sudden tell me, yeah, you know, I'm going to this school, which I already knew you were going to to start. You know, you know, it's one of those, it's one of those things. I, you know, you know, I went to see a kid recently, you know, I won't say any names. I went to see a kid play probably every day. Every, I saw every high school game of his. The school he committed to last week didn't go to a game. He sent them film after the season. And he ended up committing to that school. They didn't. He hasn't been to camp. He, has, he didn't go see their campus. They haven't seen him play live. And he's going to school there. And that's you know. And he never reached out to me. Tell him I saw it on. I saw it on Instagram. And that's what I talk about respect. Like at least send me a, send me a, give me a call. My like, hey coach, I decided to go here because I want you know I, I want to go. But don't just have it pop up on uh, Instagram and never reach out to me or my assistant. And that's mm-hmm. that's one of my biggest things. These. And it's a lot of these kids nowadays. That's how it is. You know, there's, no, there's really no respect. And, uh, and it's getting worse year by year. It's getting worse and worse. So, uh, you know, but that's the biggest thing. But me recruiting a kid, you know, kids got to realize attitude is the biggest thing coaches look at. You know, if you're, if you're scoring 29 points, that's great. But if, you, you know, your teammate takes a shot and you put your hands in the air like, 
you know, what, what, what are you doing? Because he missed a shot. I see that. Yep. You know, if your teammate falls to the ground and you don't go help him up, I see that. If you talk back to your coach, I see that. Like, kids don't realize. Coaches all look for that stuff. You know, just because you're scoring 29 points or 28 points, all right, that's great. But if you're a terrible teammate, I don't want you. You know, I don't want you on the team then. And that's, mm-hmm. and that's the one thing kids got to realize. Kids think it's all about scoring points and, and, and looking pretty for the coaches, and it's, it's not. It's really not. It's about doing more than just that. And, uh, you know, kids, got, kids, kids should realize that more. For sure. Um, so, Coach, let's say we, you have a kid coming out of high school. You've played and coach now at Misericordia. Why should a student athlete coming out of high school play basketball at Misericordia? Well, that's a tough question because, I, you know, for me, I have to know what the kid wants to study. You know, if, I, if, we, don't have their, if we don't have their major, I'm not going to recruit the kid. Kids say, hey, I want engineer. If I want engineering, mm-hmm. all right, we're off the cross us off the list. You know, right. we're, if the kid goes PT, all right, hey, let's go. Let's lock him up and go. <laughs> yep. um, but, you know, the biggest thing, I mean, I think kids enjoy playing for me. You know, I, we, like, we like to go up and down and score points. You know, I'm not, I'm not big at, you know, you can take whatever shot you want playing for me. You know, as long as you're playing defense and hustling and playing hard and doing the other little things, hey, if you feel good coming over half court, shoot the ball, you know, shoot it. And, you know, I don't, I don't care about that. I think kids like that. You know, I think kids, you know, I, I, I consider myself fairly young still for a coach, even though they're getting younger and younger. So I'm feeling, like I'm, I'm young, I'm, I feel young, but these coaches now are like 25, 26. So I am old. So I am old. <laughs> but I feel young still. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm up to all the, you know, I'm up to all the music. I know what everyone listens to. So, like, you know, I, I want kids to come have fun. You know, it's four, four years, four or five years of school at Mr. Cordy is tough enough. You know, my big thing is, you know, let's have fun for two hours. You know, practice hard and, you know, let's win some championships. Yeah. And that's the one thing I try to sell. If you're, if you're not coming to Mr. Cordy not to win championships, I don't, I don't want you. You know, we, we're, we're the you know, that's why last year, you know, we didn't make the playoffs, you know, and our goal next year is to win a championship, not mm-hmm. getting the playoffs. It's always to win a championship. And I want kids with that mindset. And that's the one thing. And kids love that. You know, they want, I got the rings in my office lined up. They want, they, they like those rings and they want those rings. And that's, yeah. and that's one of, you know, that's one of the goals for us all the time. That's awesome. That's awesome. That's great coach. You know, especially to you being honest to, to kids that say, Hey, I might want to, I'm going to major in this for you to say, well, then this place isn't for us or, or this, this place might not be for you. You know, that's a lot that that's good on your part. Cause there's a lot of coaches out there that will try and kind of finagle them and try and push them to kind of commit or do that. Yeah. My thing is like, Hey, you're coming to division three. It's academics first, no matter what. Yeah. You know, so if we don't have your academic, like, Hey, I don't want a kid. I don't want a kid coming to do a major. He's not going to, you know, it's not going to help him get a job when he graduates in four years. Yeah. You know, my, you know, my thing is getting these guys ready to, you know, for the real world. And, you know, mm-hmm. it's tough out there right now. And that's, that's my goal when I coach these kids, you know, I'm tough on them. You know, I, I, I try to, I try to, I try to make basketball like the job atmosphere. You know, I, mm-hmm. I tell them if you pout, if you pout when I yell at you, you know, you pout when your boss yells at you, you're probably getting fired. You know, if, mm-hmm. if you talk back when your boss yells at you, you're definitely getting fired. So, you know, I try to get them ready for that. You know, and I think, I think it helps a lot. I think kids realize that. And, uh, you know, I'm looking out for their best interest when I'm, I am yelling at them and correcting them. And, you know, it's not me, you know, just, you know, yelling all it's me trying to get them ready yeah. for what's going to happen to them when they graduate. And that's, and that's my biggest thing. No, no, that's awesome. 
Coach, final question for you. Um, I know it's tough now being on lockdown and some things starting over, but outside of coaching, man, what, what, what are you doing? Are you having a uh, golf guy, anything for fun? Yeah. How else do you get away from it? I just got done golf in six straight days. I golf. <laughs> That's awesome. You know, I'm, you, I'm, I'm gassed out right now. Like I, I, I was, I was on 18 today. I said, I'm taking a few days to my, one of my best friends. I said, I'm taking a few days off. I'm like, I, <laughs> my, my back hurts. My feet hurt. It it was hot. I shaved my head now. So I'm bald. So my head got burned today. So it's, it, it was a tough day today. It was a tough day. It was a tough day on the course today, but um, no, I love, I love golfing. You know, I, I just got, I just started hiking a lot now since quarantine, cool. which is, you know, I, I've been doing that a lot lately with my daughter and my girlfriend. So we go hiking with the dog and stuff. And, you know, I'm enjoying that. I'm enjoying nature a lot more. And I'm, I was never a nature guy. You know, I'm mm -hmm. a city guy through and through, you know, in woods and woods scare me, you know, they scare <laughs> me. I don't know what's in there, but they scare me. That's and, awesome. uh, but we've been doing a lot of hiking. It's like Ricketts Glen we go to a lot, you know, and, uh, Top of the world in Dunmore. A couple of nice places to hike around here that we've been doing. My daughter loves it. It gets her out of the house and get her, you know, off her YouTube channels and stuff like that and gets her moving. And uh, that's it, really. Golf and that. I, you know, I, I play, you know, I like playing a little poker also, but we won't talk about that. <laughs> they're, they're, my, they're my hobbies right there. I like nice. it. Did you, did you catch any of the, the match yesterday with Peyton and Brady? I haven't, I haven't uh, recorded. I was, I was golfing. I was golfing until about 8.30 last night. Okay. Um, I had a, you know, me and like a lot of family men, we all, we, everyone went golfing and, uh, I haven't recorded. I didn't watch it yet. I got to watch that and the other tiger slam thing they had on golf channel yesterday. Mm -hmm. I'm going to sit down once we get off here, relax, take a shower and, you know, watch that stuff there. Great. I'll say, I'm not going to spoil anything for you, but Brady, Brady had a rough start, but he'll, he'll tur he turns it around like the goat that he well, is. So <laughs> yeah, I know what happened. I, 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 I'm still, still going to watch it. I saw the previews already. And I see all the memes now with, you know, Brady saying he's a scratch golfer, but he's really like a 110. I've been there. I, I tell people, I tell people, yeah, hey, I'm a seven handicap and I'm going to shoot 110 or something. I've been there before. <laughs> it happens. It happens. Golf, golf, your score changes every day in golf. It's not. <laughs> right. That's for sure. And I, I can only imagine playing with Tiger Woods and Phil. Like, I, you know, I, <laughs> I, have, I have to change my pants four times. I don't know what that is. <laughs> That's great. Good stuff. All right, Coach, man. Well, we appreciate you coming on. This has been fun, man. But go enjoy the rest of your day oh, and definitely you dive into it. Anytime you guys need me on here, let me know. I'll come on and talk. Um, but I appreciate it, guys. You guys are doing good things here. All right? And uh, stay safe and, you know, stay healthy. You All too, right. Coach. Thanks. Thanks, Coach. All right. That was a great interview with Coach Chandler. Really enjoyed hearing that the Mamba was the Mamba at such a young age for that all around. Great stuff there from Coach. But Jake, let's switch gears. Let's tell the folks what we got for him for this week's list. All right. This week, greatest college basketball coaches of all time. Only fitting, right? <laughs> only fit, only fitting. We had a, our first guest, college basketball coach. So let's take a look at some of the greatest of all time. All right. Jake, I'll let you start this week. All Go right. ahead. Sounds good. All right. Well, this guy is a little bit of a controversial figure. He was portrayed in the movie Glory Road. Old 
University of Kentucky coach, the Baron of Bluegrass, Adolph Rupp, is my number five. Four-time national champion, six Final Fours, 27 SEC championships, five-time coach of the year. Uh, He was portrayed in the movie as more of a racist person. Um, There's still a debate that goes on today whether or not he was, but I think one thing is for certain is that he was on the wrong end of history and on the wrong end of the civil rights movement. They didn't sign, the University of Kentucky did not sign their first African-American player until 1970. So I think that kind of says something as well. But he was a fantastic coach. Um, Morals set aside. Uh, Nine number five, Adolph Rupp. Good pick. Definitely very controversial, like you said. For me, number five was interesting. I feel like there's there's the four that are really the ones that we will talk about. So five to me was interesting, and then it hit me. Number five, in my opinion – we're talking about now again. We're talking about all college basketball coaches. Pat Summit is number five, in my opinion. Oh my God! How am I so dumb? So I mean, and again, when it hit me, I was like, "Huh, I can maybe put her up a little bit higher too." But oh, wait, oh my, <laughs> um, I'm mad at myself. It's okay. I mean, I got. I, that's what I'm here for. I'm here for this. Um, eight time. Uh, tournament champion she is women's college basketball and I mean honestly too college basketball too I mean there's a couple other coaches Cots, we'll Cots, probably Cots, touch on Cots. What? You, you did correct yourself but she's not women's college basketball she's college, college basketball, basketball. Yes. she was great I mean she did it all in her career uh, over a thousand wins eight NCAA championships consistently had Tennessee from the 70s as the powerhouse Mm -hmm. in women's basketball. Um, Coached the Olympics in Montreal in 76. I mean, what else could you really say? Honestly, Um, and I also believe she graduated, I think, like over 90% of her players or something like that. mm -hmm. Yeah. Like, just remarkable. She's everything that's good about college athletics. She is. um, Great woman. Um, Only – here's the crazy thing. So she coached. From 1974 to 2012, right? Mm-hmm. That's a long time. Yeah. Only 208 losses in that time. That's, like, think, think about that time period. Think about how many games are p- played during a college season, especially when you're in the tournament every year. Mm-hmm. You know? Um, so I'm putting, I'm putting her at my number five for the list this week. And she maybe, now that I think about it, maybe could have been number four. Okay. Um, my number four, Dean Smith, two-time national champion, 11 Final Fours, 36-year career, four-time coach of the year, 879 wins. I mean, the man was at UNC from 1961 to, to 1997, the 60s, 70s, 80s, most of the 90s, just an absolute illustrious career for North Carolina basketball. I mean, the man is, or the man was North Carolina basketball for all of those years. And I know there's a couple coaches between him and Roy Williams, but he laid that foundation for North Carolina basketball for all those years. But it was uh, Dean Smith, number four. He's 
I have Dean as my number four too, and I agree with everything you said. Most people today think of Roy Williams as Carolina mm. basketball, but Dean Smith definitely started mm. it. I, mean, I will say I do love I love Roy Williams more than Dean Smith. But well, I mean Roy Williams is great. Definitely an honorable mention. Oh um, yeah, definitely. On my list. So I'm not nothing really else to add there from a Dean Smith perspective for number four. Same thing, everything you really touched on. But yeah, I do agree that he is North Carolina basketball. Um, who'd you have for number three? Number three. Another controversial figure, Bobby Knight. Uh, 902 wins, three national championships. The man won everywhere he went. He won at Army, Indiana, later at Texas Tech, who was a struggling program. Granted, the man was slightly insane, and he definitely crossed many lines, but there was, there's no argument that he wasn't a great basketball coach. And the players that went through his program love and admire him and would defend him till the end of time. Uh, did he cross lines? Absolutely. He, he was almost in a, a, an habitual line stepper. Um, a lot of administration at Indiana did not like him because of his demeanor, but setting all of that aside, the man was, you cannot question the man was a great basketball player or a great basketball coach. Do you think, any of his style came from being around outside of like the controversy stuff, but like the toughness that he brought forward came from his time at West Point and being around other people that are in the military and learning Probably. that type of style. I think a lot Probably. of that carried yeah. over. And I think the players that respected him got that. And then the ones that didn't just didn't understand what he was trying to do it was before. like it was like you were in the military. Yes, and I think and people just that... like and just like that, you know, if people who are from the military, there is that badge of honor that you hold dear that you would defend your brothers and your your superior, and that's what they did with Bobby Knight. Yeah, good pick there. Um, he's not my number three though. Um, Coach K is my number three on the list. Mm-hmm. I I love Coach K. Five-time national champion. Duke's always in it. I mean, it's just the way it is. They're always in the mix. They're always in the mix. Um, The the one stat for me that I love about Coach K is his tournament record. Being that, like we just mentioned, Duke is always in it. Being 97 and 30 in the tournament is a huge accomplishment to me because they, they they are a team that does find themselves getting upset every couple of years where they shouldn't be. And that could be a notch against whoever you want it to be. Um, but I love him. I mean, he, he consistently has Duke at the top of the, uh, the ranks. He's a three-time coach of the year. I just, what, what do you, like, like we mentioned, Dean Smith was North Carolina basketball. I mean, Coach K is college basketball and Duke basketball for that matter of fact too. I mean, there's these guys, when you're thinking of a Mount Rushmore, he's definitely got to be top of there. Yeah, so Mike Krzyzewski was my number two. Okay. Like you said, all the accolades and stuff, but my thing with Coach K to kind of add to that is, okay, how you said, Coach, if you were to make a Mount Rushmore, not of just college basketball coaches, but college basketball in general, Coach K 
is the first person on there. Mm-hmm. He is college basketball. Just like we said how Pat Summit is, Coach K is college basketball. You know, when, when he got to Duke, they had um, some success before he got there. Uh, in the 60s with uh, Vic Bubis, they got to the finals, lost. They had a decent run with Bill Foster making it to the finals, losing again. And then he comes and it takes a little bit of time, but he gets them in the tournament. And then finally, he, they climb the mountaintop. And they've just been that team that's just been always there. Duke basketball will always be there. Even if they have a down year, they're down year, they still make the tournament. Yeah, it's tough to think of college basketball and not think of Duke. like these true blue bloods and Duke for that matter. Yeah, mm. they're always in it. Um, and also, yeah. just another thing that I know, I, everyone always says, well, he never went to the NBA and all this nonsense. And I say, you see what he does with the pros during the Olympics. He has a great uh, track record with being mm-hmm. the head coach for the Olympics. He doesn't need to go to the NBA to prove how great of a coach he is. He's doing it at the highest level in college. And there's so many people that would say, we take him in a heartbeat in the NBA. But he knows that there's more of a, and I don't want to take anything away from NBA coaches, but there's more of a meaning taking young men and shaping them into mm-hmm. who they uh, are in the future. So I, I love that he's stayed in college. Because Duke was, isn't a big one and done. Granted, they just had Zion. But Duke isn't a huge one and done type of place. So he has those guys for a few years. Which is which is ironic because like many people think that the Dukes, the Carolinas, and Kentuckys are all the one and done schools. I think Kentucky, out of those three, is definitely the biggest one and done. But Coach K has guys that are there three, four years and yeah. that graduate. So it's a testament not only to him in the sense that he's bringing guys in that are playing at the highest level that may not be the best NBA players down the road, but they're there four years and you're still winning at the highest level against other teams who are stacked like Kentucky with potential first round picks. So it's all a testament to them. So really quickly, I had him at three. You had Bobby Knight at three. I had coach Knight at two and my only argument here is because Coach Knight uh, coached uh, Mike Krzyzewski. And I, think, I know it's a stupid argument, but I, I feel like we put Coach Knight in front of him just because I think Coach K took a lot from what he learned from Coach Knight. And granted, I think he did it a lot different mm-hmm. than in terms of outlandish I mean, ways I see what you're coaching. saying because I can see what you're saying with him in the coaching tree, but Okay, yeah, he may have taken a lot from Coach Knight, but he also knew what to leave out from Coach Knight. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, Coach K isn't that big of a controversial figure. You know, most of the time, I, I mean, literally 95% of the time, he is what's right about college athletics. Yep. Granted, yeah, I mean, literally, the, the man can do one thing that is remote, could be taken remotely negative, and it's big time news and he's being ridiculed. That's how clean of a program he had for many years. Yeah. Um, okay, so we'll 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 we'll, debate, we'll get to we'll the we'll that. get to there. But I we'll think... get to the seating later. But we gotta talk about our number one and I m- imagine it has to be the same. Yeah. I, unfortunately I can't throw Jay right here <laughs> at number one. Um, but yeah, I think we got the same. Um, 
On three? Yeah, on three. One, two, three. John, John Wooden. Wooden. Yep. Yeah, there it is. John Wooden. Uh, not, uh, sorry, 10 titles, 12 Final Fours, four undefeated seasons, 15 Pac-12 championships, five coach time coach of the year. I mean, John Wooden, what, what can you say about John Wooden? He, he was known for his motivational speeches that translated to life. Uh, you know, I talked about Adolf Rupp being on the wrong side of history. John Wooden was on the right side of history. He, he coached, he was coaching at Indiana state and they played in the NAIA at the time. And African-American players weren't allowed to be in the tournament. So you were expected to leave your African-American players at home. Well, they had Clarence Walker on this Indiana state team. And instead of leaving Clarence Walker home, John Wooden pulled Indiana state's name out of the, out of the tournament, basically saying, no, we're all coming or none of us are coming. And they made a statement the following year. African-Americans were allowed in the tournament and Indiana state ended up going to the uh, final game, losing to Louisville, but their player, or African-American player, Clarence Walker ended up playing. So John Wooden made a stand again. He's the man that is on the right side of history later goes on to UCLA and the rest is history. I, um, he was not a fan of Bobby Knight and Bobby Knight's, style i read once which was interesting and like you said he was on definitely on the right side of history and i know he had some great teams with some great players but i mean the well, he amount- had two he had two of the best centers of all time he had walton at one point and kareem at another but granted there's other titles in there where he didn't have those guys so. exactly but I, I just find it amazing i don't care who you have on the team but to go four seasons undefeated i mean it doesn't matter what level that is i mean on any given day something could happen but four seasons where they were 30 and oh that there in itself just it's not all about the players i mean to, to get kids up every day to bring it on a nightly basis there's a lot that goes into there but that, i mean that just is astonishing to me mm-hmm. I, I mean so all right he's our clear number one but what are we thinking for the final two. You got to put K over Bobby. More national titles, more wins, and Shashevsky did it the right more so the right way than Bobby Knight did. You think Bobby Knight three? Yes. Can I make a case for Pat Summit, even though I brought her in very late Ooh. to the party at five over Bobby Knight or a three B? So think, here's I my so all... here's my problem. Here's my problem. Let's hear it. If, you know, we're going to post this and people are going to be ticked off because Gino isn't in here. But I, I, you know, I was only thinking men, men's basketball. Way to go, Jake. (laughs) Make me look bad. Um, But I, I could put Pat at three, K at two. Wooden at one. Wooden at one. Do we think, though, that... Pat deserves it over Bobby Knight. Just not just looking at. We all know that we love Pat more probably than Bobby Knight. For Listen, many I love Bobby. I, I liked him Bobby. too. I liked his style too, and I like I like that type of mentality um, in coaching. 
I think he maybe took it over the top sometimes. And a one hundred percent, he did. But I don't. I don't want to put just Pat. I know I brought her in late to the game at five, but I don't want to just put her into the list just because. Is she? I, I think she's truly deserving for an argument at potentially three. But you can't discredit what Bobby Knight did. So let's think about that. I mean, eight, eight national no. champions for Pat, Pat Summit. Pat at three. All right. I was going to try to make it more fair. I mean, I, I know I brought it in, but I wanted, no. I was, I wanted Pat, Pat in at there three. at three. Wooden, wooden, wooden. Coach K. Coach K. Pat Summit. Pat Summit. All right. I'm, I'm glad with that. I was, was going to try to build up a case a little bit more, but if you're on the same page as me, I don't have to debate you into the ground with that one. Okay. Take it All away. Right, here we go. All right. Our list this week for greatest college basketball coaches. Number three, Pat Summit. Number two, Mike Coach K. Krzyzewski. And number one, John Wooden. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter. Check out uh, our list for this week and let us know in the comments in our threads. You know, who do we leave off? Who should we have added? Uh, let us know. Cool, cool. Uh, Jake, let's get into our closing statements. Tell us, folks, what we got. All right. My closing statement this week has nothing to do with sports. Sounds like, like mine. <laughs> but it's, I feel like it's something that needs to be addressed. <laughs> Here we go. Yesterday, I participated at a Zoom wedding. And it was a lot better than I thought it was going to be. This was a Greek wedding, so it was a longer ceremony. I mean, we're talking Catholic wedding type length. But it, it was still wonderful to take time out of my day to acknowledge a friend getting married. So for all the listeners out there, the jukes if you will. If you have a family member or a friend that was supposed to be married during this time, make sure you reach out to them. Give them a call. Shoot them a text. Ask them how they are doing. Because this is a frustrating time for them. This is supposed to be the greatest day of their lives. So make sure they're doing okay. And if you're asked to join in on a Zoom wedding, do it. There's no excuse. Take an hour out of your day. Heck, have a drink while you're doing it because you're you're watching from home. You can have one. But support the people that are going through this right now. Make them feel appreciated on a day that was almost ruined by COVID-19. <laughs> Thank you. Okay. So it looks like we're kind of switching things up around here. Jake coming in hot with a closing statement completely unrelated to sports and me coming in hot with one completely related to sports. So touched a lot on basketball today, which is great. And I know we just finished up the Last Dance documentary. And I know there's not live sports and we're still starving for the content. But... I'm seeing stuff come out that just makes me think, let's, let's let the past be. Let's let what has happened live and die in the past. Jamal Crawford came out saying some stuff that in, when he was a rookie on the Bulls in the 2000-2001 season, 
That offseason, Jerry Krause was going to make a run at T-Mac, Grant Hill, and Tim Duncan. But, like we all learned from the last dance, Krause lowballed all of them and pretty much ticked them off to the point where negotiations were stopped. Now, who's to say that a big three with T-Mac, Grant Hill, Tim Duncan, with also a team with Jamal Crawford and Alta Brand, and Ron Artest, who for those of you who don't know who Ron Artest is for our younger listeners, that's Metal World Peace. Who's to say that big six couldn't work well together? There's an opportunity. There's a good chance that that team could have been great. Grant Hill had some injuries. T-Mac had some injuries. But that's neither here nor there. The point of this is it happened. It's over. The Bulls went through a rough patch, and they're still going through a rough patch. Some may say they're still rebuilding. All in all, though, we need, and I can't believe I'm defending him to this point, but we need to just let the Jerry Krause drama live and die in the past. The man's not here to defend himself. He did what he needed to do to bring championships to Chicago. And let's be clear, he built that team around Jordan to bring those championships. Yes, did he have some type of built-up mentality that thought that made him think that he deserved more credit than he did? Without a doubt. But to just keep coming on and berating this man, it's getting old. He was a good GM, if not a great GM. He did what he needed to do. And at the end of the day, Jordan couldn't have done it by himself, and Krause put the pieces around him to help him do that along with Phil's great coaching. So let's forget about it and move on. Jamal Crawford, if you needed T-Mac, Grant Hill, and Tim Duncan to win a championship, then you should have more of the Jordan mentality and should have tried to do it by yourself. All right, folks, that's another episode of Juke Sports. Tune in again next week. We'll be back with a fresh episode. But until then, adios.